Hi, I'm Samuel. And I'm Bentley Boyd. And this is the Re-View Podcast. Samuel, you've got something that uh, popped up recently on the internet. Go ahead and read it to us. So this is a press release put out by the Walt Disney Company on March 15th of 2016. Indiana Jones will return to the big screen on July 19th, 2019 for a fifth epic adventure in the blockbuster series. Steven Spielberg, who directed all four previous films, will helm the as-yet-untitled project with star Harrison Ford reprising his iconic role. Franchise veterans Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall will produce. Quote, Indiana Jones is one of the greatest heroes in cinematic history, and we can't wait to bring him back to the screen in 2019, unquote, said Alan Horn, chairman of the Walt Disney Studios. It's rare to have such a perfect combination of director, producers, actor, and role, and we couldn't be more excited to embark on this adventure with Harrison and Steven. Famed archaeologist and explorer Indiana Jones was introduced in 1981's Raiders of the Lost Ark, one of AFI's 100 greatest American films of all time, and later thrilled audiences with the 1984 Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, 1989's Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and 2008's Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. The four films have brought in nearly $2 billion at the global box office. What do we do? Oh, no. Oh, man. This again? Okay. So, wait a minute. Wait. So, you know, I don't want to be just a fanboy who, you know, just thinks that the first one was perfection, right? That You and I, in our discussions of the canon of what's important, what do we love, what carries forward from generation to generation, you know, we hate the fanboys. Yeah, you know, we, we hate we, the fanboys. We, 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 we Come want... fight us, fanboys. <laughs> We want people to have uh, some perspective. We don't automatically hate what's new because if you do, then the canon dies, right? Yes. If you just put something under a glass case in a museum, it dies. Mm -hmm. So, of course, I love the first Indiana Jones. It was a huge deal. Uh, it was during this golden age, right? We had had Star Wars and uh, the fact that Harrison and the same people, you know, Spielberg, who had given us Jaws and... Uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, you know, it, it was a big deal. And there's no doubt that Raiders of the Lost Ark is in the canon. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would even argue that The Last Crusade is in the canon. I think... Last Crusade is great, and, you know, we have to remind people, <laughs> after you just read that press release, uh, the second one was not welcomed at the box office. Okay? No, okay. It was a terrible movie, in large part because Spielberg cast his wife as the female lead, and she's a piece of wood. It's terrible. Well, I'm just like, I, like there's so many things to digest and like <laughs> focus on in this press release, but the most baffling thing is thrilled audiences in 1984's Indiana Jones no. and the Temple of Doom. No, shut up. Shut it, up. It, it did not. I had a friend once who unironically said that Temple of Doom was his favorite Indiana Jones movie, and I kid you not, a month later, I was not friends with this person. <laughs> I'm surprised it took a month. It, All right. It's... So Spielberg was very public in saying that he wanted to do a third indie movie to apologize for the second indie movie. And he did a fantastic job. The third one with Sean Connery is fantastic. And then what I like as a storyteller in this genre, this pop culture, right? I'm a comic book artist. And so I thought it was really interesting that at the start of the third one, they were already making a bid to say Indy is a timeless character because they start with young Indiana Jones, right? Mm -hmm. River Phoenix plays young Indiana Jones. That's the opening montage of the third movie. And that leads right into the television show, Young Indiana Jones. And I thought those were fantastic because they set Indy in a specific time. I majored in history in college. History is a big part of the artwork that I do now. I love it. And they placed Indy very specifically in 
interesting and important cultural moments. Like at one point, they cross the border to fight Pancho Villa. Yeah. You know, and there's this really cool episode that's uh, set in World War One with an artillery train in Africa. I mean, just if you loved Indiana Jones played by Harrison Ford as a grown-up then there was a lot to like about young Indiana Jones. Yeah, and that series runs from 1992 to 1993, and they crank out, you know, small... It's, it's also the production values. They're making movies for ABC. Like, ABC is showing this stuff, yeah. and it is movie quality. It's also where a lot of your favorite modern actors probably get their start, because they had to employ everybody in Hollywood just to make sure they weren't recycling the same familiar faces. I mean... I've shown you the YouTube clip of one of these big goons beating up on Young Indy. And who is that? But our current James Bond. Like, it, it's, it's, it's crazy because it is so high production. It is the start for so many people. But you also get so many established uh, existing Hollywood stars. I mean, Harrison Ford does make a cameo in a couple of these episodes. And it really ties together and mythologizes Indiana Jones and keeps that torch burning while there wasn't Indiana Jones content other than, say, The Last Crusade and while you're waiting for the 2008 Well, so it's very similar to Star Wars in that when we got The Last Crusade, you know, Harrison's like, that's it, I'm done with it. He goes on to play Jack Ryan, you know, in those movies like Patriot Games. You know, he's interested in doing other stuff, grown-up stuff. He doesn't want to be typecast as this kind of sci-fi adventure actor. And I can appreciate that, but, of course, I love the sci-fi adventure stuff. So... It's interesting how young Indiana Jones was really the first time that we see Hollywood in the modern era try to solve this problem of how do we make new content of the character that everybody loves without that actor. Yeah. And now we're seeing the Hollywood grapple with that problem again. So it's very similar to what does Disney do with Star Wars, right? We know that people want to see Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher in a new Star Wars movie, but they're really old. And yeah. how do you pass that torch and keep telling the story that people want, but, you know, reality just keeps marching on. You know, Spielberg, at this point, is not that young anymore. No, he is not. I mean, you'll also find, again, for us to... Uh, we will continually go against the grain on a lot of things. You might call us contrarian, um, but I personally really liked the fourth Indiana Jones movie. You know, I think that has a lot of merit to it. I did not think Harrison was too old for the role at that point. Also, if you're one of those nerds who's like, I can't believe Indy went up against Aliens. Spoilers for a movie from 2008. He goes up against Aliens. The first movie has him encountering the manifestation of the wrath of God. Do not tell me it is out of the realm of believability. This is a real discussion I've had. Well, it's a discussion that you and I have had, and I have had with other people as well, yes. And so, to understand Indiana Jones, you have to place him in history. Yes. Right? So, it's funny to me... That the fanboys hate the fourth one because it's about aliens, except that it's set in the 50s. And guess what America was obsessed with in the 1950s? Aliens. aliens. Okay, so, you know, if you love Indiana Jones in the late 30s and 40s because he's fighting Nazis, and if, like me, you like the young Indiana Jones show, which you can share with children who are too young to see, say, in the Temple of... Doom, you know, him rip a guy's heart out, right? So young Indiana Jones, you can show them. And there's a young Indiana Jones talking with Teddy Roosevelt, okay? History has always been a part of this mythological character. So if you're going to put it in the 50s, guess what? You get atom bombs, you get Soviet agents, and you get aliens. It made perfect sense to me. Mm -hmm. Now, there are problems with that 
movie. Let's, Indy let's, 4 is not a perfect film. It, let's, let's not kid ourselves. The part where they're swinging through the jungle with the monkeys was ridiculous. Yeah, Shia, Shia has to carry a lot of the most ridiculous moments of that film. And it's a shame because... You go to go back to what you were talking about about positioning the next generation. Right, they, they're really they, tried. they bid so hard to get you to believe that Mutt Williams is gonna be this next indie. They give him so many badass moments or what they think are badass right. moments, and it just doesn't come together. And I why why didn't it come together? Why does that fail when they p- try and pass it to Shia? Because at that point, let's remind people, Shia had done other movies. He was not being introduced. No. Um, I think, well, we have to look at, I would have to compare it to an example of where it succeeded, um, which is where I think we can go back to The Force Awakens, okay. where all three of those, the, like the new trio, and especially including Kylo Ren, maybe the new... You well, know, certainly Ray. I mean, the, the, the actress they cast to Daisy play. Ridley is a breakout star. Daisy is awesome. She's a fantastic actress. And I think it's because they use the original cast very sparingly yep. and where appropriate in the film. You know, I... As, as you know, that that fanboy instinct in me that I can't completely ignore was a little disappointed that we have five seconds of Luke Skywalker at the end. But you know what? That's the right choice because you know who Ray is now. Yeah. Her interactions with Luke in the next movie are going to be awesome. Yeah. The thing with Indy Four is they wanted to have their cake, which was Harrison, and eat it too. Yeah. And if you're going to introduce Mutt Williams, you got to do something drastic with Indy. You have to either reduce his stream screen time dash, drastically. Or you have to have a more uh, a larger emphasis on mutt. Like you have to do the hard work, the difficult and scary work of saying, okay, this is the existing star, but we need to let him go if we're gonna gonna keep this thing going. Yeah, and they completely failed at letting him go. So I agree with you completely that the Force Awakens was a great passing of the torch mm-hmm. that will keep Star Wars going forward. But Indy Four failed. Yes, it failed to pass the torch. It made a lot of money. Uh, the fanboys didn't like it because it wasn't Raiders of the Lost Ark, but it made a lot of money because they, in trying to decide, do they lean on Harrison or do they pass the torch, they went with the safe bet, leaned on Harrison. He was still able to fairly convincingly carry Indy. Yeah. But that means now, a decade later, we got to do this all again. Yeah. They, we- they've got to try and pass the torch now because they failed 10 years ago. Yeah, and, and it's way more difficult now because... Harrison, unless I'm mistaken, is now older than Sean Connery was in The Last Crusade. Well, I, th- I think that was true of the last one. Oh, my God, I think really? that was Crystal Skull. Was, that was also true. But, well, you know, I guess they just filmed him better in that. But, like, here it's very clear. And 10 well, years... Dude, the guy's crashing airplanes he's on golf crashing courses. So. Like, you and I were talking yesterday. <laughs> There's a big difference between 2008 Harrison Ford and I'm going to get my leg crushed in a hydraulic press door Harrison Ford of now. <laughs> yeah. He is... He's getting really old. He can't do this. It's really unfair to make him be an action hero when, you know what, he he did a great job in the movie about Jackie Robinson, you know, playing an old, crusty manager of a baseball team in the 40s. I'm just going to manage this baseball team, and I'm going to make sure that Jackie gets a chance to play if he doesn't, I'll be very upset. Right, so that's perfect for I don't know if the Harrison. microphone picked up all that, but... <laughs> we'll try and pump that up later. Like, the, like my Samuel L. Jackson can't be done anything other than shouted. My my, my Harrison Ford has to be growled and, and real low. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, to make him try and be an action hero now, and to go back to uh, Spielberg now, you know, I mean, that press release that you read here at the beginning of this episode, you know, it's all breathy and everything, but... 
they're acting like it's still 1992. You can't do it. You no, can't do you it forever. Do You've got to pass the torch. But I think the arguably the most important part to Disney is at the very end of this press release. The four films have brought in nearly $2 billion at the global box office. Oh, so absolutely. We yeah. knew that this was coming, right? When Disney bought Lucas out, they didn't just buy Star Wars. They bought Indiana Jones. So mm -hmm. we knew that this was coming. Yes, we did. They have to pay... How much did they pay Lucas for these properties? Uh, $4 billion. $4 billion. $4 billion. So they've got to carry Indy forward somehow. Uh, I would love for them to do it, but I have very mixed feelings because they already passed the torch once successfully with Young Indiana Jones. Yes. Right? They, those, you can buy those on DVD. You can buy Young Indiana Jones, and I would recommend that. It's a great way to teach history. Then they tried to pass the torch a second time and failed. Yep. Now we're going to try and do it a third time. I mean, how many times are we going to do this? I don't know. I, I just don't know. And, and it's weird because before this, after they bought Disney, but before we had an official announcement of a fifth Indiana Jones movie, there's a lot of speculation swirling that, you know, Chris Pratt's going to be your new Indiana Jones. Or, or you're, you know, or I, I don't think this was genuine talk, but, you know, uh... Benedict Cumberbatch is going to be your new Indiana Jones. Shut just, up. Or some of these new people, you know, like I, I'm just throwing huh. him out as an example. Okay. Um, and I just don't think that Hollywood has done the hard work of convincing me that these guys can can pick up this role. I'd much rather see Chris Pratt continue to do, say, Star Lord, and make that his Indiana Jones, mm -hmm. rather than be like, okay, Harrison, 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 Chris Pratt, and they're not going to do any well, of the hard work of of trying to carry the narrative forward, because I would love to see an Indiana Jones successor character, like Mutt, have Indiana Jones-type adventures in the 60s and 70s and early 80s. Sure, like, it'd be fun. And, and because these kind of stories, even though they are pulpy and they are linked to a specific time period in our culture, you can bring them forward. I mean, you and I love the uh, 1990s Phantom movie. You know? Yeah, yeah. And that is a pulpy action adventure. And if I remember correctly, it's been a while since I saw it. Isn't it set in like the 1980s, 1990s? It's no, not... no, no, no. It's set in the 30s. Oh, whoops. Okay, never mind. My thesis is gone. But <laughs> you should be able to tell a pulpy action adventure story that exists in, you know, the age of cell phones. You know, there are still places where you're off the grid. There are still places where mm. nature uh, will always be something to be confronted and fought. And uh, not to get too political here on the podcast... There's still Nazis around, so, you know. Well, so that's, when we talk about Indiana Jones being a character who's almost now failing because of his previous success, you know, there was a lot of cultural talk about Indiana Jones earlier this year when some people thought that the current political climate had fascism in it, had some fascist tones, and so people were sharing memes that showed Indy punching fascists. Yeah. Right? So he is in the canon because it's not just a good action movie. It is something that speaks to us politically. It speaks to us as a society. Yeah. Right? So we have this very important historical moment where we went to World War II and fought fascism as a concept and won. Mm -hmm. So that's what the original indies are hearkening back to. You know, another way to carry this character is to, to freeze him in that time. Maybe the lesson is... Uh, we don't try and carry him into the 60s and 70s and 80s. We yeah. just say, you know what, we'll cast a new character, uh, a new actor, to play that same Indiana Jones from 1935 to 1945, period, in done. Yeah. Right? You could do that. Yes. And that's what they might have done with, like, Chris Pratt. You know, he wouldn't have been having adventures in the 70s. He would be an Indiana Jones having adventures in that late Depression, World War II era. 
you know, that's that's what they would have done. They would have made it a very formulaic uh, Indiana Jones movie where, you know, he just goes around, he punches Nazis, and, and that's that. it's Chris Pratt. Right. And you know what? I'm not going to be, like, super dismissive of that because I think that has merit as well. It's not as risky as, you know, having a mutt Williams have adventures in the 60s mm-hmm. and 70s. Mm-hmm. But... You know, I'm still waiting for a Rocketeer sequel. You know, so I can't, <laughs> I can't be too choosy over here. So what's fascinating to me as a creator, uh, the reason why we're actually devoting a podcast here not to just reviewing something that is part of the canon. Uh, this is probably the podcast where we're looking forward the most of any of these that we've done. So we're looking forward to a movie that we're not going to see for several years. Mm-hmm. And the reason we're doing it, I think, is because... Indie is a big deal, and they, they haven't passed the torch. It, it has singularly failed in a way that other franchise characters have succeeded. Like, so James Bond. They figured out how to pass the torch with James Bond, even though if you ask 100 people on the street, they would say their favorite Bond is Sean Connery. But you know what? They have continued to make movies. They've continued to do well commercially at the box office. We happen to like the Pierce Brosnan ones. The yep. Daniel Craig ones are very good and gritty and interesting. So there's a franchise where they have passed the torch of the character and moved him forward in time with actor after actor after actor. Yes. So it can be done. Mm-hmm. It can be done. Superman. You know, they've cast a bunch of different people as Superman. Batman. Batman. They've cast a bunch of different people as Batman, carried him forward in time. So why can't they do it with Indy? You know, why are we having trouble? Is the problem... And I, I don't think this is what it is, but I do want to pose that question. Is the problem that potentially the role is too tied to Harrison at this point? I mean, can well, you think Well, it's the success, of... right? They've, they've had so much success with him. That's your problem. I think it's also because he's tied with fighting Nazis, right? Yeah. I mean, one of the problems with the, the fourth movie, you know, set in the 50s, was they were trying to make him fight the communists, and they just didn't have the same weight as the Nazis. No. Because it's too much of a... First off, I don't think Kate Blanchett is exactly up to par in that film. She wasn't evil enough. She's not... not she's too flat. You're, you're the Diet Coke of evil. Not quite evil enough. <laughs> Just one calorie. Um, but she's... It, it's And it's not all her fault. You know, there's a lot of... Like, the script is not as tight as it should be in the fourth one. Yeah. There's not a lot of quips. Yeah. There's right. not a lot of uh, places for Indy to really showcase that kind of, like, thumb-in-your-nose sort of authority uh, sort of thing. Because he has almost become an authority figure in the meta-narrative. Like, he's this existing... Well, so in the fourth one, you know, he's got his kid. Yeah. So he's a dad, right? I mean, you don't think of Indy as a dad in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, there was a great column, I think it was by Film Crit Hulk, that basically just said, the reason Indiana Jones works is because he is the ultimate... Even more so than James Bond, the ultimate male power fantasy. There's never been mm. a purer one. It's never existed better than Indy. Well, wait it's, a minute. I don't know about that. But I mean, the point is that he is eternally young Harrison Ford. And to see him as older is so confrontational to what we think of as ideal about ourselves that it just kind of folds in on itself. Again, I'm just... Well, Indy is an ideal American character. Yes. I don't know if he's a male power fantasy, but he is an ideal American character in yes. that you know, he, he does believe in ideas, right? He is a college professor. He's an educated person who can still punch Nazis. Yeah. 
okay? And he's got the quips. He literally has a scar on him, though, right? We don't have these uh, perfect figures, right? James Bond is a perfect, cultured person. Yes, he's right? the ideal British man. He's the ideal British man, and Indy is a very good, ideal American man, but they're different. Yes. Because of the two cultures are different. Yes. So, you know... Uh, you, that's why I wouldn't want to see Chris Pratt cast as Indy because he's a little too smooth. Yeah. I know he's got the wise cracking down, but, you know, one of the famous lines from Indy is it's not the... It's not the years, it's the mileage. It's the mileage. Indy has to have some weathering to him, but not be a parent. Mm-hmm. It's a very fine line, you know, where we love Harrison in the first three movies because he's clearly been doing this for a while. Like Belloc in the first movie, has clearly encountered Jones before, right? He's, He's like, what? Dr. Jones, there's nothing that you possess that I cannot take away. These guys have been at it for years. There's backstory, but it's a completely different dynamic than Indy in the fourth one where he's got to be kind of dad. Yeah, he's got to be dad, and he's got to be husband. Yeah. Marion is back, right. and that's something we all thought we wanted to see. And then she comes back and well, suddenly... I'm glad I saw it. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's, it's... You know, she comes back and it's suddenly like... I mean, in the third one, he's, he's with that, like, Nazi double agent. And you're like, oh, man, is she, she going to sell him out to the Razzis? Or is yeah, she, yeah. you know, she got, you know, heart of gold? Or like, you know, and, and, you know, that is also somewhat a father-son road trip movie. I mean, that's a story about... But with yeah. Indy as the son. Yes, as the son, right? which is crucial. Which is crucial. So... Yeah. Uh, he's yeah, he's very much a, a kind of late twenties, early thirties character, and can you advance that? Yeah. I think that might be the problem. I th- I think I think what we're talking around is the first initial installments of Indy are so lightning in a bottle. It yeah. comes at the right time culturally in the real world. Yeah. It comes at the exact right time of Harrison's career. It comes at the exact right moment for. I mean, the the writing and the creative staff for that team is perfect. It is lightning in a bottle, and they have tried to capture it to varying degrees of success again and again. And now the lightning they caught in a bottle is, let's not kid ourselves here, Harrison's probably got maybe optimistically another 10 years on this planet. He's just going to die. Uh, so. I'm not even sure he's got that. Yeah, he's, he might, he, by the time you see this movie, I may be dead, in the words <laughs> of William Shatner. You know, he, 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 Harrison just might be dead. Cause, by the way, there's another great example of how they have successfully passed the torch they actually cast another Kirk. I never thought in my life I would see another actor playing Captain Kirk. I dearly love Shatner as Kirk, and yet I really like the new Star Trek trilogy that does not have Shatner playing Kirk. Yeah, no. So it can be done. It can be done. This stuff can be done. But is Indy such a unique case? What makes Indy the unique case? That's what we've been talking about. I mean, it's... It, is it is it just Harrison? No, maybe not. Is it Spielberg? Well, maybe. Is it George's weird writing, which half the time is like, like out there and like wrong for Indy, but at the same time kind of perfect? Like he's the only person who maybe could come up with that idea. You know, if I were given this franchise with this very hard problem to solve, right? Okay, so Disney's paid the billions of dollars, and now I'm in charge of making them some money and rebooting the franchise. If I were the executive producer, I would pull Spielberg off it. Yes. I would to. not have him direct it. So we've talked in another podcast about a reboot of Kong and how that was done by a director of Samuel's generation. I think you've got to give Indy to a millennial while Harrison is still alive. 
I think Ooh. that would be so. So you have Harrison in there as your tent pole, as your anchor, and maybe he's only on screen for ten or fifteen minutes. But give somebody else a crack at this because I think the old guys who have created this mythological figure. I mean, it's rare when you see this actually being created in front of your eyes. When when something new is added to the canon, really brand new, it's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Star Wars was an incredibly important and beautiful thing that I eyewitnessed. Same thing with Indy. Yeah. Right? Superman was handed to me. That was already part of the canon when I was born. Batman was already handed to me. James Bond was already handed to me. But when you see it created in front of your eyes, it's really cool. And and this might not count because it was a member of an existing franchise, but I can remember walking out of Mad Max Fury Road. Oh thinking, yeah. Things aren't things aren't the same anymore. Something has changed. Like this or, or this film is going to be added to the canon. Oh this is not We're gonna talk about Fury Road in another podcast. It's yeah, no. brilliant. I, I walked out of that and and my cousin, Tucker, who I love dearly, but is not like a super, super duper duper huge movie guy like we are. Yeah. He knew it too. It's something yeah. elemental. It's something, it you know. Well, so way to go. You're contradicting me. Because in that oh, yeah, case, <laughs> all four of the Mad Max movies... Yeah, they're have all been, George Miller. <laughs> they're all directed by the same guy. But I, I'm sorry for all the boomers listening to this podcast, but I'm sorry. There's a time to walk off the stage. Yes. Exit and, gracefully while you still can. And I just don't know what Spielberg's going to add that he hasn't said already. He created this... I love him for it. I love Harrison for it. But if we want this character to continue, somebody has to reinterpret it. Well, and we also have to remember that George's initial idea for the first Indiana Jones movie was, without a hint of irony, Indiana Jones versus the Ants of Mars. Like, he... he <laughs> like, George... George like, okay, he, George. Okay, George. Uh, so, what I really think is important is if we have Indy fighting, you know, he was fighting Nazis before, I think, I think we should have him fighting ants this time. And they can be from Mars. Maybe he can get in a hot rod at some point. I, I think that'd be really cool. <laughs> well, that's the thing to say yeah. as we wrap up this podcast. I mean, I watched the fourth one and I knew, you know, the creative team and, of course, George's first big movie is American Graffiti. Yeah. Right? Which is all this love story to the 50s and the hot rodders and the rock and rollers. And so there's a whole bunch of that that gets put into Indy 4 because it's set in the 50s. And so my problem was it, it just was a little bit flat-footed. I do like Indy 4. It's way better than Indy 2. Yeah. Oh, God. But it didn't pass the torch. Yeah. So maybe we can end by uh, ranking the previous four indie movies, like which one's the best, which one's the worst. Okay. And um, I guess we can let it go at that because we don't know what Indie Five is really going to be. We, yeah, we I don't think we even have like a scriptwriter on this yet. You know. You're kidding. No, I don't. Uh, I'm, I'm on the IMDb page right here, and it says we have uh, David Coep on the screenplay, maybe, and but that doesn't seem to be super confirmed. He's done Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit. He did part of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, so he's got that. Huh. The first Spider-Man, which, okay, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Oh, he did War of the Worlds. Oh, okay. Okay, so I think we feel pretty good about the screenwriter. No, he also did Toy Soldiers. <laughs> oh! That's all right. No, he's got, he's got more hits on there than Strikes. That's fair. Okay. Well, he did... Uh, Very first Mission Impossible. He did the first Mission Impossible, which that's, I liked. So that's pretty good. In terms of reinterpreting properties, he's got some yeah. some mileage. So, but if you're gonna rank them, best to worst, where do you what do you? Do? Oh well, it's clearly Raiders, and then it's Last Crusade, then it's Crystal Skull, and then the bottom is um, 
Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom with Short Round. I mean, I really can't watch that. I tried rewatching that a couple years ago because <laughs> crap, dude. I couldn't even get through the first hour. Yeah. Okie dokie, Dr. Jones. And and Kate Capshaw is just so shrill and she's just she's unwatchable. Yeah. Unwatchable. Um so I'm gonna be a crazy person and actually say my favorite Indiana Jones movie is The Last Crusade. Nice. It might be because I'm at a point in my life. Spoilers, emotional spoilers, where I am in a place where I can, you know, be here with my dad doing this podcast. Sure. And I love that Indy has that dynamic with his father. Indy thinks he knows everything, but he very clearly doesn't. But Sean Connery's character also thinks he knows he knows everything, and there's stuff for Indy to teach him. Yeah. And it is this yeah. beautiful melding of the minds and the expression. Like, that whole movie can be encapsulated in Sean Connery's expression when he sees the World War I tank go off the cliff. Yeah. And he thinks he has just lost his son. And yeah. it is the most heartbreaking minute and a half on film, yeah. I think, that might oh, exist. Great. We um, should drive a World War I tank. That would be fun. Oh, God. <laughs> um, <laughs> and after Last Crusade, it gets pretty easy after that. I mean, obviously, Raiders of the Lost Ark, then Indy 4, and then, like, a big pause, <laughs> and then Temple of Doom. Like, well, is it's really in- position number five. Like, there's nothing in four, but I'm just going to put it at five anyway. Well, so wait a minute. This is an interesting question. We've talked about the shotgun uh, order of Star Wars, where you really don't need to watch episode one. You could mm-hmm. watch the pod race. You could watch the final lightsaber duel. Is kind of interesting. But, but basically, if we're showing somebody Star Wars for the first time, we, don't, we drop episode one. Yeah. You dropped Make, Temple. I think you dropped Temple. I when I tried watching it a few years ago, you know, I remembered that opening scene with the airplane and he's got to jump out and there's the the kind of I like sled that. ride. That's cool. You know what? I'm not sure even that held up. Oh, it, man. it looked really goofy. The thing that like makes me go insane about Temple of Doom is that it's so self-congratulatory. And if you've been listening to all of our podcasts so far, you know there's nothing I hate more in this universe than something that's so proud of how clever it is. Yeah. When he is in the climactic scene where they're doing the chase across the rope bridge, which I will defend. I think it's a cool scene. Okay. Starts off on the exact wrong foot where he does beat for beat. The you know the big swordsman guy comes up to yeah. him, does the flash, and he reaches for the gun, realizes the gun is gone, and he's got to fight this guy off some other how. Temple of Doom is a prequel within the continuity of Indiana Jones. There's no reason Indy should be doing like uh like almost like a whoops like oh he's almost looking at the camera to be like oh, i guess my gun isn't there right now yeah yeah no shut up that's <laughs> so wrong it's so wrong because in the timeline it happens before raiders yes it happens before raiders in raiders boom it's effortless it's awesome it's one of the most iconic shots in movie yes. history both figuratively and literally <laughs> hot and, shot first yeah it, and <laughs> thank god they haven't tried to make like indy shoot second or something <laughs> but like He's referencing something that in his life, in his fictional timeline life, has hasn't not happened, happened yet. yet. Yeah. God, <laughs> I hate Temple of Doom it's, so much. It's, it's a mess. So when we talk about sophomore slump, I mean, there's no greater example of a sophomore slump. Oh, God, easy, easy. So, yeah, I think, I think you can watch a trilogy. I have recommended very highly today that you check out Young Indiana Jones oh, on yeah. DVD. But Temple of Doom, let's banish it from... Just the camp. The, it's out. It's, it's out. It's out. Don't need to see it. I don't care what its title is. I don't care who's starring or behind the camera. It's gone. It's out. Okay. And so are we. So thank you for joining us. This has been the Re... View Podcast. Podcast.